about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. So our first reading comes from Hebrews 12, verses 4 to 29. In your struggle against sin, you have not registered to the point of shedding your blood, and you have completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Ensure hardship is discipline. God is treating you as his child. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they fought best, but God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and no bitter roots grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, for who a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he waited, wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he has done. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was condemned. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous, made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, in the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, but much less we but much less will we if you turn away from him who warns us from heaven. At this time his voice shook the earth, but now, but now he has promised, Once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken must remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful, and so worship God, acceptantly with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, 
For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honoured by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods which are of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from those who minister at the tabernacle, have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you and those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honourably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for in fact I have written to you quite briefly. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders with all, uh, and all of the Lord's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. Grace be with you all. Cool, friends. Hello again. Keep that open in front of you. Let's pray together. Oh, Holy Father, we pray this evening that you would, by your Spirit, give us a vision of what you have done for us in Jesus, how you've drawn us close to yourself, and so ignite in us our longing to be like you. We pray this in his name. Amen. Oh, well, we are at the very last week. You made it, well done, of our series on Hebrews. Uh, If you cheated and skipped a week, uh, you can jump on the podcast and catch up. Our, our prayer for this whole series has been that everyone in church would just have a bigger vision of Jesus and what he's done for you. Uh, th- this thing happens in life where uh, we have a vision of Jesus, then, then kind of the complexity of life outgrows our vision of who Jesus is. 
And what we need to do is be always getting a bigger and bigger vision of Jesus as life gets more complex. And Hebrews is one of those places that just expands your vision of Jesus. Uh, One of the themes that you catch on the way through Hebrews that we haven't talked about a whole lot, uh, and a way of kind of capping it as we head to the last two chapters, is the theme of holiness and how God makes us holy. And he himself is a holy God. Let me uh, just talk about that for a second. I don't know if you have any idea what the word holy means, uh, but Cass drove it home to me early on in our marriage. she had the audacity to claim quite early on that within her little sewing box thing with the walking foot, which I don't understand what it does, and the picker and the, the threads and stuff, there were some scissors. And these scissors were not for cutting pipe uh, or cardboard or plastic. These scissors were set apart for cutting fabric. And fabric alone. <laughs> they were to be holy to fabric, holy for fabric. Uh, these sort of uh, scissors. So if you spied some of them that someone owns, you know, you, you know, what, know what to do. Because if you take fabric scissors and you cut other things with them, you defile them. <laughs> and they are no longer useful. Because uh, what holiness means, what being holy is, is set apart as special for a purpose, right? That's all it means. Set apart as special for a purpose. And what you read through the book of Hebrews is that God's people who trust in Jesus have been set apart as holy and special to him. Let me take you on a quick tour of holy in the book of Hebrews. These aren't quite all the references, but most of them. In Hebrews 2, we're told that both the one who makes people holy, Jesus, and those who are made holy, us, are of the same family. We're called holy brothers and sisters in chapter 3. Jesus is described as holy, blameless, and pure, set apart as a high priest. He entered the most holy place to offer blood. And by the will of God, we are made holy through that sacrifice. And by that one sacrifice, we are made perfect who are being made holy. And by that sacrifice, we can enter the most holy place, right? Holiness is through the whole letter. God, our Holy Father, makes us holy through the offering of His Son on our behalf, and now we're set apart and we can enter the very presence of God. But there's a tension in these references too. The tension between the fact we have been made holy by the sacrifice of Jesus and those phrases that talk about being made holy. We are set apart, but in some senses we're unfinished. Until that day when we're finally in God's holy presence. And what I want to talk about this evening as we head through the last two chapters is how to live with a holy God. How to live as those holy people set apart. What that looks like. I think the last two chapters of Hebrews are designed to help us sort that out a little and live in that tension. So three things about living with a holy God. The first one is this. What we learn is that our holy Father is always at his work. Our Holy Father is always at his work. In 12 verse 4, it strangely enough follows from the first few verses of the rest of chapter 12, where we're told to run our race, our eyes fixed on Jesus, and Jesus is the pioneer, perfecter of our faith, who uh, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and we are to consider him who endured such Opposition from sinners that will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus battled against sinners in enduring the cross. 
And so in verse 4, we also struggle against sin. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. That, in the end, is the tension of holiness in a sentence. Our sin. Though we are set apart by God, we are sinners in a community of sinners in a sinful world. Our life is a struggle against sin in ourselves and others, really. But in the midst of that, the author says there is a word of encouragement that addresses us as sons and daughters. And he quotes Proverbs 3 and says, My son, which says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. The Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Now, this is very significant. Because when we are in the midst of life and we are struggling with our sin, we are struggling with the sin of others and the sin of our community, it is difficult. Life is difficult. And in those moments of difficulty, it's tempting to think that, and I've heard a lot of people say that, that when things go south in their life, God is punishing me. God is not pleased with me. But what the author to the Hebrews wants to say is, if there's difficulty in your life, if things are going wrong, if things are complicated in your struggle against sin, do you know the reason why? It's because you're a son. It's because you're a daughter. And God, in the midst of the complexity and the difficulty, is doing something. Your Holy Father is tending you. He says... Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. The presence of hardship is a sign that we are sons and daughters. It's a crazy thought. And let's just pause for a second because there's a lot of complexity in that thought. Right? The first thing is that, well, really, we all have experience of fathers, And some of our experiences of fathers have been awful. It's a very hard thing to understand that God could discipline and love us in a way that is good and not just harmful. And I want to recognize that and know there's people in this room for for whom that has been awful. And I want to own that. It also can feel like we're, we're trying to, this passage is giving us a roadmap for life and can kind of look at life and go, well, this hard thing's happening because God is doing this thing in my life or we can kind of connect the dots and it's, you just can't read life that way. We can't overread what this text is saying. What it is giving us the confidence to say is that when we walk in difficult spaces with our sin and the sin of others, our Father, our good Father, is tending us. What he goes on to say is we all have human fathers who've disciplined us and we respected them. They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, which is the best way to describe fathering. I remember when I was 17 and I was having an, a, a bit of an argument with my dad uh, and he was just a bit fed up with me, I think, and just said, Matt, I am, I'm just doing the best with what I have. <laughs> and at that moment I thought, one, you have no idea what you're doing, I've just realised. <laughs> Uh, and two, I realized that's 100% true. We, 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 you know, human fathers just do the best with what they have, with what they think is best, trying to raise children. That's what the word means for discipline. It's this idea of raising a child up into the world, giving them boundaries and structure that helps them become a person. And our human fathers do the best that they can, and some of them do it awfully. 
But God our Father is not like that. He's not just doing the best with what he has. What does it say? They disciplined us for a while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we might share in his holiness. Our Holy Father, in the midst of the complexity that you're facing, and I don't know where, I don't know how, he's tending you. He's making you like himself. He's causing you to be the holy person that you're becoming in the midst of those things. And this passage is causing us to rest in that status. Rest in that status as sons and daughters in the midst of life. It's also realistic. Verse 11 is really helpful. We're not masochistic. Discipline isn't pleasant. It's not. It's painful, it says. But it produces something. God, our Father is tending us and producing something. Always. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms. Be confident in what God is doing in your life. And in verse 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Here's this, that tension again. We're made holy, but without holiness, we won't see God. It calls us as a community. It's a communal verse, not individual, not singular holiness, but corporate holiness. How does that work? Well, the next verse is helpful. It says, see to it that no one falls short of what? Of the grace of God. Remember, through all the way through Hebrews, what makes us holy? What Jesus has done for us. So how do you get holiness to see the face of God? You get it in Jesus. So as a community, pursuing holiness is about ensuring that each of us Keep hold of the grace of God. Keep warm in it. Keep trusting it. Not letting go. He gives the example of Esau, uh, who is the uh, lesser-known brother of his famous brother, twin brother, Jacob. Uh, and it talks about this, this incident with a meal in Esau's life. And Esau is the firstborn in his family. Jacob is the runt, right? And Esau has promised everything, the inheritance, uh, all the promises, everything. And he's a hunter. He's out one day hunting. Uh, obviously, he didn't catch anything because he comes back starving. Not a very good hunter. And, um, you know, he comes back and Jacob's a man of the house and he's cooked up a storm, smells it as he walks in and says, can I have some? And Jacob says, sure, but give me your inheritance. Esau says, sure. Esau trades all of the promises of God for one hot dinner. He lets go of it all. And as the text says, when he pleads later to receive it back, he can't. He lets go of God's promise. See, this is the danger that we are all in. All of us, I can see this in my own heart, in danger of letting go of the grace of God in Jesus for one hot meal. For one moment of pleasure and joy in this world, losing the grace and eternity given us in Christ, the forgiveness of sin, the, 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 the place in his presence. We're all at danger in this. And so as a community, pursuing holiness is about ensuring that, brother, sister, do not trade the grace of God for that. 
It looks steaming hot and good. But let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you about my Jesus and his holiness and his majesty and his beauty and his sacrifice. Do not let go of the grace of God for that. Pursuing holiness as a community is to be like that. And this text lays it on us. See to it that. See that no one. It's our responsibility to one another to have those types of conversations. Our Holy Father is tending us as his family, and we together are to pursue holiness. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. We see in this passage. And that's that in Jesus Christ, the Holy God has spoken. In Jesus Christ, the Holy God has spoken. See, in this text, he kind of goes back to chapter 1, verse 1. In verse 25, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks, the God who speaks. In chapter 1, talks about how God has spoken in various ways through history, but in this final day, through Christ, his Son. And so we get this passage about the God who speaks. And we're given a picture of two mountains to make sense of God speaking. And the first is a time when God spoke to God's people audibly at a really scary, terrifying mountain. I hope you got the picture. Mount Sinai. And he says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a sight that even terrified Moses to see it. God comes down on Sinai and it gets hectic and terrifying and no one can go near it. And even Moses, the man, the friend of God, is terrified. Uh, it reminded me reading it of this is um, the Stromboli uh, volcano going off in Italy and this is a boat of Italians screaming at each other trying to outrun the ash cloud. And I just, when I read this passage, I just thought of that because that's a good picture of Sinai of just flaming mass, the holy, majestic, powerful, almighty God coming down. And he spoke, and everyone said, tell that guy, tell that God to stop talking. It is too scary. The holy other God. The author says, we haven't come to that mountain. Thank goodness. We've come to what? We have come to Mount Zion. And he paints the picture of this heavenly city, this heavenly mountain that we've come to. And this mountain is the mountain of the living God, like the other one who came down. But it has thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Angels partying, okay? To the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven, we've come to God, the judge of the spirits, and Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. We haven't come to Mount Sinai. We have come to ground zero, ground spiritual zero. We've been entered into the holy place, to God's own city, full of angels and the people of God made perfect by the blood of Jesus. We have come to something far greater and far better than anything that anyone in the old covenant experienced as they encountered the holy God. That's a picture we're supposed to get between the two. But what he's doing in putting the two before us is a bit interesting. Because his point is to not refuse the one who speaks, right? See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they, they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we 
if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. They sat in front of the scary mountain, hearing a scary voice and refused. We have come to the heavenly mountain. We have heard of Christ the Son. How much more, if we refuse the voice of God, will we be in a serious position? I think we're supposed to to, to understand here is that though we've been brought all the way in to the Holy God, it is still the voice of the God of Sinai, holy and majestic, who has spoken. Let me ground that for you. This is, um, I can't say her name, Eva Wineska. I said that wrong. If you can speak German, help me out later. I'll show you. Uh, She's a paraglider, world champion paraglider. And 11 years ago, 12 years ago, she was in Bendigo, 2007, training for the world championships. A whole bunch of people were out training just before the event. She was part of the German team, and they all headed out this one day into the skies. It was a bit of a cloudy, stormy day, few storms around. No one was too worried at the beginning. But into the training session, the two biggest storm fronts combined. And it formed a storm 12 miles across. And a lot of people got out of the air at that point. Uh, Eva couldn't because she was too close to the point where the storms were combining, right? And she found herself at the exact point, actually, where they were combining. And all of a sudden, she finds herself being sucked up through the middle of the storm. I have a GPS tracker on her. And she goes up at 20 meters a second up to 10,000 meters, jumbo jet height, right? She's passed out uh, for a whole hour in the sky and wakes up after it drops altitude and she can breathe again. Uh, And her hands are frozen on her brakes and she can barely move, she can barely breathe. Uh, She found a way out of it, uh, but reflecting on it after, she said, You can't imagine the power. You feel like nothing. Like a leaf from a tree going up. I was thinking, I can't do anything. I only have to wait and hope that the clouds will bring me out somewhere. And they did. On the ground. They found her a few hours later. It took ages to find her. She was so far away. Friends, the point of the story is this. Just because the storm landed her finally, gently on the ground does not mean it was not a terrifying storm. Just because the one true God has brought us near, has landed us safely by his blood, does not mean he is not a consuming fire, the majestic, almighty God. We have to kind of hold those two things together. That's what the author does in verse 28. Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, we are secure, we are in the city, we have a place there with sons and daughters. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence And or for our God is a consuming fire. 
The God we worship in Jesus did not become less God by coming down to save us. Not less majestic, not less powerful, not less awesome, not less holy. And he is the one holy God who has spoken in Christ the Son. And that is to change the way we respond to Jesus and the way we respond to him. The holy God has spoken in Christ. The response is reverence and awe. What does that mean? How do we unpack that? Well, I think actually chapter 13 helps us a little. I just want to run through a few things in 13 to help you unpack that a little. It's living with a holy God. I think in the end, chapter 13, we're supposed to treat all of life as holy. All of life as separate and special for a purpose. And it's surprising the things that he goes to straight after making this great claim about the awesomeness of our God. He says, keep on loving one another. As brothers and sisters, Philadelphia, the love of brothers and sisters, that's holy. That's reverence and awe for the God, the holy God who saves you in Jesus. Then he says, not just Philadelphia, but Philazenos, love of strangers. Show hospitality. Love the unlovely. Love random people who walk into town in the ancient world and have nowhere to stay overnight. Love your brothers and sisters. Love strangers. Love those outside. Love those in prison. Remember them as if you were together with them and mistreated along with them. Provide for them. That's what they do. They'd bring them food. Love brothers and sisters. Loving strangers. Being with the mistreated. This is the holy life. Marriage is brought into it, our sexuality. The marriage bed should be honored by all and kept pure. You know, if you're uh, engaged this evening, there's so many of you at the moment, keep this in mind, keep pure. Honor God with what you've been given. If you're married here and you're finding yourself caught up in pornography or fantasy, the holy God It's calling you to something different. If you're tempted to start a relationship outside of marriage or you're tempted by your same-sex desire, all of us are pulled into this in a different way, aren't we? All of us. But the Holy God summons us to honor marriage among us. And our sexuality has something to do with the holy life we are summoned to. Not only our sexuality, but our greed. Keep yourself free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. The Lord is my helper and I will not be afraid. There is one thing that flies straight in the face of the grace and generosity of God. And that is the insatiable need for more. And not only that, but leaders in church are brought into it. In verse 7 and 17, part of the holy life is the way you relate to leaders at church. Really strange, really interesting. But makes sense in context for a group of people who want to walk out the door and leave Christianity behind. God gives leaders to protect and love his people. I care about you. Roger cares about you. Mike cares about you. Joe cares about you. We love you. 
You know, relating to us is not about power and hierarchy. It's about us shepherding and caring for you and keeping you in the grace of God. So the way we relate together as community is part of that holy life. See how everything's being touched, everything public, everything private. All of it is about how will I live in reverence and awe to the holy God who has bought me in Jesus. But friends, do know that it is definitely not by any of these things that you make yourself acceptable to God. It talks at the end of this chapter in 13, let me finish here, about ceremonial food in verse 9. And it talks about how it's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. In the Old Covenant, when you brought a sacrifice, it would be broken up and uh, often you'd eat some of it in the presence of the temple. And some of it would be taken as food for the priests. And kind of part of eating the meal was part of the process of being made holy. Participating in the sacrifice, consuming it. And to these people who are tempted to go back to that, he says, you don't need to eat ceremonial things to become holy. What you need is to be strengthened by grace. We don't eat the meat of sacrifices. We are to consume the grace of God. As it says, the blood of animals was carried outside and outside the camp burned. And so Jesus suffered outside the city to what? To make the people holy through his own blood. You see, Jesus was defiled outside the city by men and set under the wrath of God that you might be set apart and made holy and that you might have a part in his city though he was kicked out of his own. See, friends, the way to love one another, to bear with strangers, to suffer along with sufferers, to to deal with our sexuality, to deal with our greed, to deal with the complexity of community, is to consume the grace of God daily. To be strengthened in the one thing that does make us holy. And when our hearts are strengthened in that, we will live different and holy. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we hear your voice this evening. And we come with reverence and awe and thankfulness that we can live in your presence by the blood of Jesus, that we have been made holy, acceptable, and that we are part of his city. Oh, Father, strengthen our hearts with this grace that we might treat all of life with reverence and awe before him.
Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.